It's finally here, the game. Michigan takes on its biggest and only rival next on Michigan Podcast. But there's going to be one team that's going to play solely as a team. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The team, the team, the team. Let's see for Waits for it. Here's caught. This is no time for that. In the pocket and a sack. Tim Jamison. Brady gets terrific. Throws it. And a touchdown night again. Schultz just before Brazil got him. And the leaping interception by Woodson. Harbaugh back to throw over the middle. Caught by Collinger at the five. Championship again because we're going to play as a team. And when we play as a team, and the old season is over, you and I know it's going to be Michigan again. Michigan. Blue. I'm Steve Dace. Welcome to this week's edition of Michigan Podcast. Maybe the biggest episode of the season because it has finally arrived. After a year worth of waiting, it's here. The game. The biggest game on Michigan's schedule, the Wolverines take on their biggest and really only rival. In-state rival. Sometimes little brother, although... Not too often enough in recent years, I'm afraid. The Michigan State Spartans will host Michigan on Saturday. A couple of trends going into the game, uh, and and one of them's got to give. Jim Harbaugh, as a player and a coach, has never lost in Spartan Stadium. On the other hand, he's never beaten a top 15 ranked team on the road as the head coach of the Michigan Wolverines. The Michigan program hasn't won a game on the road against a top 15 ranked team since that glorious dismantling of number two Notre Dame early in the 2006 season. Michigan State, of course, has the bye week. They've had two full weeks to prepare for this, but let's face it. When it comes to Michigan State, they've had 365 days to prepare for this. Michigan, on the other hand, had the bye week prior to Northwestern, and Jim Harbaugh openly said they spent the bye week preparing for future opponents. That meant Michigan State. And I think you could see that in how lethargic Michigan looked offensively in the first half against Northwestern before making quick work in the third quarter and then moving on. And then you saw literally three seconds after that game was over, 
Jim Harbaugh and the Michigan players were moving on. They've got a lot to prove on Saturday. A year ago, Michigan was 23-point favorites at home to Michigan State in absolutely one of the worst losses Michigan football has had, certainly the worst since the Toledo game in 2008. Michigan State, a program that was in complete rebuild mode with a new head coach in Mel Tucker who had no offseason with his team. He was the last head coach hired at a school. And then, of course, COVID shut down his offseason. Michigan came in arrogant, cocky after destroying Minnesota on national TV the week prior, got punched in the mouth, and never recovered. In fact, the entire Michigan season didn't recover. You could say that that loss to Sparty led to seven Michigan football coaches. Well, six got fired. One of them left on his own to be the head coach at Buffalo. So you could say that loss to Michigan State triggered a a chain of events last year that led to six new coaches on the Michigan staff, six Michigan coaches' assistants losing their jobs, maybe the head coach almost losing his job as well. And now we have come full circle. A lot of us as Michigan fans wondering, Is it smoke and mirrors? Are we being set up again? Because it's clear the downfield passing game is still struggling, but offensively, when it comes to a punishing running game, maybe the best running game in the sport, a defense that has rebounded strong under new defensive coordinator Mike McDonald, number two in the nation right now in scoring defense, and then maybe the best special teams unit in America. Those units are elite, the running game, the defense, the special teams. But as Michigan fans, we've seen this before in the Harbaugh era. We know. To go from that pretty good program hovering around 8 to 15 in the rankings to truly competing for a spot in the playoffs and to win the first Big Ten championship for this school in 17 years. I cannot believe that's true. It's the longest championship drought we have ever had as a program. We know that that means we've got to have elite or at least a lot better quarterback play. And it's got to be a lot better than this. Look at this stat from Saturday against Northwestern. Michigan had more yards per rush than per pass attempt. That's a great stat if it's 1978. Because in 2021, that is beating nobody meaningful, especially on the road in today's college football. So, a lot of this falls on Cade McNamara. He was really good on the road against Wisconsin. I think that was his best game. And then pretty good on the road against Nebraska. Had some errant throws, made some mistakes, but also led three valiant scoring drives in response to Nebraska punching the Wolverines in the mouth. So Michigan is battle-tested on the road. I think the fact the game is played at noon and not at night is a slight edge to Michigan as well, just because that just adds extra juice to the home crowd. But it really comes down to is this. You know Mel Tucker, defensive coordinator, defensive guy. You know Michigan State's pulling people out of the damn stands to stack the box. They're going to be like, dude, we won't even cover receivers. We'll dare Cade McNamara to hit him seven-on-seven style. You're not running the ball against us. We know that is coming. Now, we knew that was coming against Wisconsin, too. And a lot of us, myself included, thought that the Wolverines would just be stubborn and beat their head against the wall and end up losing. They didn't. They came out, guns firing, flea flicker early, softened up the Wisconsin defense. And yeah, they didn't run it great. I think Michigan still has like one third of the rushing yards, though. Wisconsin has given up this entire season. They ran it enough. That will be the key on Saturday, running it enough. And then for the Michigan defense... There's going to be a lot of eye candy, 
There's going to be a lot of misdirection. I believe Michigan State has run some form of a flea flicker in every game so far this season. What we've seen with Michigan is a couple of times in the second half, opposing offenses have realized we just cannot come right at these guys. We can't move the ball. Let's try to trick them. And it has worked a time or two like it did for Northwestern with a big run. That was really its only play of the entire game. And Michigan State's got a lot better skill players than Michigan than Northwestern does with that misdirection. So Michigan maintaining eye discipline against all the eye candy and misdirection for Sparty. And then can we get the Cade McNamara? I think Michigan's offensive line running game are good enough that if we get the Cade McNamara we got against Nebraska and Wisconsin, Michigan will win. But if we don't, it's going to make that 7-0 and feel really hollow. And that brings us to our friends over at DraftKings. If you're a football fan and you're hungry for a big win this week, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, they've got you covered. New customers can bet just 5 bucks on any NFL team to win their game, and if they do, you win $200 in free bets on a $5 bet. That is some winner, winner, chicken dinner. You can't beat it. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. Use the promo code Michigan Podcast to bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and win $200 in free bets if they do win. You win with the promo code Michigan Podcast this week only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. And remember, if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services Gambling Disorder Helpline at 800-270-7117. 21 and older, Michigan only. Eligibility restrictions apply. And see DraftKings.com sports, DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for full terms and conditions. Time now for the 10-Minute War, and we are joined by our, our friend and maybe the one and only reasonable Bucknut himself, Mark Rogers, who has a fantastic channel here, the voice of college football right here on YouTube. Make sure you check it out. You might get, it might make you some money checking it out as well. Good to see you, brother. How you been? I'm doing well, Steve. Uh, this is what we've all been waiting for. For how long? This is the weekend. It is, I mean, this is a killer weekend. One of the best weekends in in probably all of Big Ten history. You've got Iowa at Wisconsin, uh, Penn State at Ohio State, Michigan at Michigan State. On Penn State, Ohio State, I don't know if you've seen the the video from James Franklin's press conference this week where he referred to being focused on Illinois twice, talked about going to play at the big house at Ohio Stadium. This is legit, dude. And and this 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 is on the heels of the news that came out yesterday that he has fired his agent and hired SEC super agent Jimmy Sexton. And on Saturday, Bruce Feldman at the Athletic, who's as tied into the coaching carousel as maybe any member of the college football media is, said that James Franklin was one of the top candidates for both LSU and USC. What do you what do you make of all of that. Put that all together for us, Mark. What's it mean? We all misspeak at times, but when there's three in the span and they're faux pas to that degree, boy, you talk about being distracted. You would think that he would be able to mirror that or or hide that a little bit better than 
than than he does. It reminds me of some other leadership we're we're accustomed to seeing on a regular basis. So <laughs> that that is that is atrocious. That is, that is just I I had not heard. I had heard about the the agent decision, but I had not heard about the news conference. I typically tape all the ones on the Big Ten Network on Mondays, but I had not come across James Franklin. But man, uh, yeah, that's. Uh, that is really bad, and if he's distracted to that point, man, he is he has packed his bags and left town already. Are you saying we are we're about ten minutes away from James Franklin alternating uh, whisper screams and sniffing hair? Is that what I hear? You are you intimating that maybe, Mark? Perhaps. Well, no maybe names not mentioned, that, of course. Maybe not. Maybe not to that level. Gotcha. Of of of, of cringeworthiness, but. Uh, Elsewhere, yes, he seems to have checked. If that's any indication, and again, we'll we'll give him one. Shoot, I say things all the time on college shows and all sorts of analysis that if yeah, if you really know, okay, he misspoke. He didn't right. mean that particular player. He he said Jeff Jenkins, the old Brewers hitter, instead of Jeff Collins, the Georgia Tech head coach. You know those sorts of things. When we've been around sports forever, you do those things and you I mean, talk I- constantly. You do that, but Mike, those are those are atrocious. Sure, I mean I say all kinds of stupid things while trying to be smart, so I get it. Okay, um, one week from today, we will be on the cusp of the unveiling of the first college football playoff rankings. So I decided to take a stab at if we were doing them this week, not just what I think myself. I mean, it is my ballot, but it's also an approximation of what I think the rankings themselves will look like. All right. So I want to get your take on it. So this would be my ballot. I've got a top four of Georgia, Alabama, Cincinnati, and Oregon. If if you, if there are very few, when you look at both the NCAA tournament selection committee and the college football playoff committee, there's since it changes over every few years, there's very few consistencies. But in the college basketball selection process, the strength of your non-conference schedule has been a consistent parameter every year, regardless of who's on the committee. And so far in the seven years we've been doing the college football playoff, head-to-head when teams have the same or, or uh, better records has also been a constant, which is why if, if they win on Saturday, Oregon, and they both win, Oregon, I'm 100% convinced, will be rated ahead of Ohio State uh, in the very first poll because they beat him on the field. Um, so this is what I've got right now, uh, putting it back up. Georgia, Alabama, Cincinnati, Oregon, Ohio State, Michigan, Oklahoma – Iowa and Michigan State and Old Miss is what I think the top 10 would be if we had the playoff rankings this week. Old Miss, Wake Forest, and Notre Dame are in that coveted top 12 for a New Year's six berth. And then you see I've got Texas A&M, by far the highest rated two-loss team. Um, and you see the rest of my poll of what I think. There you see Auburn's playing better football right now, but again, same amount of losses. Penn State beat them on the field. So that's what I think if we had a top 25 college football playoff committee poll, that's what I think it would be both my ballot, but also what I think it would look like. What are your thoughts? It magnifies what we need to do with a group of five, that there needs to be a decision, a formal decision about to include them or exclude them because Cincinnati is such an outlier from a strength of schedule Mm -hmm. standpoint. I made a comparison. Nobody's talking about Wake Forest, uh, partially because nobody considers them to be that good of a team and also because their schedule's backloaded and they play their four toughest opponents at the end. And if they take care of business, you know, we'll deal with it then. So nobody expects that. But I did a comparison between 
Wake Forest schedule, which is considered to be weak, and Cincinnati's, and it's not even close and certainly won't be. The distance is going to grow even wider, the gap between the quality of the two schedules. So what to do with Cincinnati? Uh, no other team in the nation gets to say, <clears throat> we beat one good team. We beat Notre Dame. They're a top 15 team. We're in the playoff. That's all we needed to do. That was our one <laughs> right. um, check mark. Nobody else gets to do that. Why does Cincinnati get to do that? And I've been the guy that's been the champion of the small guy, the little guy, the group of five guy to say, hey, we need to to provide them a space. But I just can't I can't in any way justify Cincinnati making a playoff if they carve up the rest of this schedule when their best second best win is going to be SMU. I think the political pressure, if Notre Dame's 11 and one, and if you look at the rest of Notre Dame's schedule, it very well could be. If mm-hmm. Notre Dame is 11 and one and their one loss was by double digits at home to Cincinnati and SMU's only two losses of the entire season are to Cincinnati. The, the public media, uh, media and public pressure on this committee to put Cincinnati in that final top four uh, provided they're undefeated, of course, I, I I think it will be overwhelming, especially and, and I don't because have an issue with that. especially because how good is Oklahoma, for example? Okay, um, I I think it will be now if they're undefeated, they're going to be in the playoff, but I I think it'll be overwhelming. I do. Now I don't have an issue with that because Cincinnati's done what they can do, and then of course they went out and scheduled Notre Dame in Indiana. So I'm not blaming Cincinnati. So this is not. Sure, but no, you bring bring up a good point. You bring up a good point, as you often do. That's why I ask you questions like this. The other team that jumps out to me is, of course, Oregon. I got to think that the committee, there are certain committee members, and this is a smart thing to do for self-preservation and PR from a PR standpoint, is to be looking down the road and thinking, if we put this team here and A, B, and C happen, you know, we can't box ourselves into a corner. Although at seven years into this, I think the committee's already done that a number of times, and they can explain away their decisions mm-hmm. in whatever fashion they want. But to put Oregon at four, wow, that's obviously they have the best non-conference win, maybe the best win, but the best non-conference win for sure in the country. But other than that, Oregon, again, it's so it's who's a, four? Uh, who's four then? Oklahoma's well, best win is a is a is a is a is a three loss Texas. Ohio State's best win is Maryland. So, so like what the committee is supposed to be doing, I'm a resume guy. So my mm-hmm. resume says Georgia, Oklahoma, Michigan, Michigan State are the four best teams in the country based on resume. I don't believe them to be the four best. Okay. But, but you know, obviously we have we have yet to figure out conference championships and, and all of that. So See, that's, that's why I'm not really out. worried about the whole Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State thing because those yeah. teams are all going to play each other, right? That's gonna that's gonna get that's gonna get decided on the field. But what does bother me, and, and you know me, you've known me long enough to know, I, try, I strive to be consistent. Like, I was the Michigan fan in 2006 that was like, dude, I absolutely want to play Ohio State again. But frankly, if the shoe was on the other foot, if I'm Florida, what did I do? I did nothing wrong. And so I, didn't get, I got one loss. I didn't get a chance to play Ohio State. Michigan did. They lost. Michigan could have played their way in. How is that fair to us? We played in a tougher league. So I actually thought the right decision was made to put Florida against Ohio State that year. And then Florida proved it on the field that the right decision was made. The reality is, if the situation was on the other foot, there is not any Big Ten fan of any school with an IQ above three that would be saying, 
you know, I really think that the, because we knocked off Indiana, with, who's a friggin' JV team with seven starters out, and blew the hell off of Maryland doing their perennial basketball. Look at my jersey. Basketball practice started, shut it down. All right, that just means that game doesn't count. The games have to count, Mark. The games, otherwise, don't play them. Don't, then, then don't even play Ohio State and Oregon, and let's just do this by recruiting rankings every single year and not have a season. The, game, the games that are played have to count. Steve, you are talking my game. You are talking exactly what I am. And uh, to your consistency piece, I'm the Ohio State fan that ranted and raved in 2016 after the announcement was made, even though Ohio State had the better record and the better out-of-conference resume, that Penn State was ripped off. They should have been in the playoff. They won head-to-head. They won the Big Ten Championship. Mm -hmm. So in a similar vein, I believe that Ohio State's a better team than Oregon. But it shouldn't matter what I think. I agree. Or I, I agree. Got if, on an if I'm betting, if I'm betting on a Columbus, rematch, Ohio and won the game. I, if I'm betting on a rematch in any stadium in the world, I'm probably and you force me to bet, I'm going to bet on Ohio State. But this is again, it's a season. It's not a projection. And this is my problem with this playoff format, though, from the very beginning. It's not a playoff. It's an invitational. And so everything is very subjective. That's why I am very, very confident. That if both Ohio State and Oregon have the same record next Tuesday, Oregon's going to be ranked higher. Now, where those two teams will be, I don't know, 3, 4, 2, 3, 5, 6, I don't know. But Oregon will be higher. But where you will see the skullduggery come into play is that at the end of the year, if Ohio State is just absolutely curb stomped, Penn State, Michigan, and Michigan State on its way, and Iowa or Wisconsin in the Big Ten, tournament, Big Ten, Big Ten Championship, and, they, and then Oregon's best win since beating Ohio State is... Ohio State, looking at the rest of the Pac-12, where right now the South champion looks like he's going to have a minimum of three losses between Utah and UCLA, a minimum of three, okay? So that's that's where the skullduggery will come in. That's where the reverse engineering will come in and say, well, we kept Oregon there all we, all season long, but we looked at the resumes, as you said, because no one would argue outside of that game, Ohio State clearly has the better resume. But week one... Week one, they're going to honor the head-to-head. That's what they've done the whole time for seven years. They've honored head-to-head. I hope so, Steve. And if your feedback that you get from your viewership is similar to mine, I am astounded at how many people, even non-Ohio State fans, could care less about that result. Yeah. They say, well, like the game State's wasn't better. played. Then why do we watch? Why they play the game? Uh, why does it count? Uh, why don't we why don't we take the law the win away from Oregon and just give it to Ohio State because we agree Ohio State's the better team, then why play the game? Absolutely. I am amazed I release a top 25 every week that people basically want me just to tell them who the best teams are, regardless of what's happened on the field. Right. And I build a resume-based rankings. And they then say, they get mad you know at guys what? in the media who think they're experts and know-it-alls. After asking, us, re- after asking us to supersede the results on the field, then they get mad that we think we're a bunch of experts and know-it-alls. There you go. Yes. But, the, but the people that watch me, most of them want that to be done. So they are okay with 13 people going into a room and coming out and saying those are the four best teams, and they they buy that. They they think that that's the conclusion hmm. that they want and that that's been decided, and, and they're good with that. They don't it, question that. That's that shocking typically. to me because I, I can't think of anything I've witnessed in the last, say, 19 or 20 months that has indicated to me that a large segment of Americans really don't want to have to think for themselves or make any decisions for themselves whatsoever. So I am totally blindsided by this news, Mark. Moving on, uh, let's get to Michigan versus Michigan State. So Michigan, tell me who if, if you think this, if, if it doesn't matter. Michigan had a bye and then essentially had a second bye playing Northwestern, if we're being honest. Sparty has 
a full buy, though, and two weeks to prepare. Is there any advantage there whatsoever in the setup to the game? I think there's always advantage to rest and preparation. I think the better coaching staffs typically win bowl games. That's why Nick Saban, Urban Meyer, and we can go to other examples. Dabo Sweeney have excellent bowl records because they've got more time to prepare and they're smarter. And their coaching staff is better prepared and uh, implements that better than their competition. So there's something to that. Now, whether Mel Tucker and his coaching staff fit that bill, uh, I'm not completely convinced. I think he's the right man for the job. I think he's done a great job. They have yet to beat a winning team. Uh, And I do believe that Michigan is the better team, but of course they're playing on the road. And um, Michigan State's playing very loose brand of football. And I say that in a positive way They're they're tight on offense and defense schematically, but uh, I think that they understand, they feel really good about where they are. They didn't expect to be at this place. And maybe Michigan's finally gotten to the point where they were a very tightly wrapped team emotionally and mentally. And now they've kind of cut it loose and they seem to have gained this level of confidence where, okay, we, we are good. We can win close games. So I, I, when you look at the resumes of these two teams, I think they're actually very similar. Um, they're, they're, at the time, impressive non-conference dominant wins in both cases have not worn well, uh, both for Michigan State against Miami and for Michigan against Wisconsin. I don't think Michigan has played a team that right now has a winning record either. Now, Michigan's part of the reason for that, for in the case of, say, Nebraska and Wisconsin, but I think that stat that you mentioned to Michigan State applies to Michigan, too. I think you've got— Other than Wisconsin. Other than Wisconsin, which—you're right, they're 4-3 and three now, so there, there is a winning record there now. You're right about that. I think they'll be 5-3 and three after this weekend, actually. But um, the to me, I wonder—when I look at—I've watched a lot of Michigan State, and— I, what I see is, from a passing game standpoint, where I, overall, I think I've said this to you before, their coaches have done a phenomenal job of keeping it simple, stupid. All right? We're going to run downhill with a, with, a, with a really good running back who would be a Heisman finalist right now if we were voting. And their passing game, a lot of it is either verticals or checkdowns. Like, they're not, we're not running a lot of, like, you know, NFL route trees and combo routes and multiple reads, you know? And... That has worked well for Peyton Thorne. Now he has thrown a pick after throwing, having a Justin Fields like 14 to 1 touchdown interception race here the first few games. He's thrown a pick now in consecutive games. Whereas Michigan, what's fascinating, when you watch the film on Michigan, and former Michigan quarterback Devin Gardner has been doing this every week, and he really showed it this week the amount of open receivers that Cade McNamara just doesn't even see. And it ain't like with our offensive line, he's like under a lot of pressure. I think he's been sacked twice all year long. We're just talking like he just gets up there pre-snap and decides where he's going to throw the ball and doesn't look. And even Harbaugh has talked for the last couple of weeks about, quote, leaving meat on the bone. Um, If you look at pro football focuses, analytics, um, and if you look at um, um, EPA, you know, the expected points analytic, which is very key, I mean, McNamara is 78th, Mark, amongst college quarterbacks out of 130. 78th in EPA. I would venture a guess there's never been a team in modern college football history since we've been keeping the stat here for the last 10 years that has been 7-0 with a quarterback 78th in EPA because that means you're leaving a lot of points out on the field. So I, I think that this is a game where both teams have real quarterback questions. 
Uh, I think you've maybe seen evidence going in the last two weeks that maybe we're hitting some regression in the mean for Michigan State. Like they've maybe maxed out their talent. And you've kind of seen it the last couple of games. Uh, you look at, you know, Michigan number two in scoring defense. So I, I really think that this maybe we're kind of back to what we thought of these teams in the preseason where Michigan just has overall the better talent and the revenge angle. And I think they have a. I think there's a quiet advantage here for them that the game is at noon and not at night. I, I mean, I think that makes like a field goal difference in the outcome. Well, you've said it a number of times. At least one superstar, elite player on the Michigan defense at each level, and there might be more, uh, actually, that are emerging that I see. Uh, yeah, the Michigan State Indiana game may be telling in that. Yeah, over the course of a nine-game Big Ten schedule, even if you are the best team or second-best team in the league, you're gonna you're gonna hit that one ugly, you know, mid-afternoon Saturday game in the rain where you slog it through for a 17-13 win. Maybe that was Michigan State's game against Indiana, but I really don't think it was. I, I think those are teams that have comparable talent on the field, and in Indiana kind of pulled it together for one game, good enough to hang with Michigan State, and I think that's a precursor. Not that Michigan State's going to get obliterated by the three powers in the division or anything like that, but I think that they're going to show, depending on the health of Penn State and the mindset of James Franklin in Penn State, uh, where where they rank, they're going to show this. Uh, I find it interesting also that if you look at the, the results against the the likes of the Maryland's and Rutgers, et cetera, and Indiana, where Ohio State has now come through, and they haven't proven anything against a good team, but still annihilating those three versus what's happened to the other teams. I think this could be a precursor to Ohio State near dominance down the stretch. Well said. Appreciate it as always, man. Good to talk to you. Thanks for joining us, Mark. Steve, good to see you. It'll be interesting to see what our our uh, discussion looks like next week. Indeed, the, the the Earth is. We're going to have some tectonic shifts between now and next Tuesday. You betcha. We'll see you then. This week's Twitter poll results. We asked you if Michigan loses to Sparty, does it basically wipe out the seven and zero start for you, and put Harbaugh right back on the hot seat? And at least within this audience. That's a resounding yes. Two-thirds of you said yes to that. Only one-third of you said no. I'm totally fine with another meaningless 9- or 10-win season that accomplishes nothing because I'm a complete and total um, uh, panty waste. Or maybe not quite that's how you put it. But (laughs) you might say, well, because I have perspective and I'm more forgiving. The rest of us have had plenty of perspective. It's called seven damn years. All right, seven years of chump. We've had enough, okay? So two-thirds of you with the right answer, it pretty much wipes out everything that was done up until this point. That is that is correct. All right, so thank you to the two-thirds of you that got the right answer, which brings us to our feedback of the week from Jeffrey Perpich, who says, yes, is the absolutely right answer. This is not a good Michigan team unless they win in East Lansing and Happy Valley. We'll know they're a great team if they can win that last game of the regular season. I mean, you're putting a lot in that Maryland game, Jeffrey. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I know it's on the road, but I mean, I don't know if that's the game we should be judging the Wolverines by against the Terps there at the end, but I get you. Uh, And he says, you know, the one that currently doesn't exist. No, I don't know. Which game you're talking about there, Jeff, because it doesn't exist. 
That'll do it for this week's episode of Michigan Podcast. We are back again next week, hopefully, standing at 8 and 0. Uh, until then, please like, rate, subscribe, five star review, follow, uh, share, etc. Whatever, whichever the case may be here on YouTube or iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, however you watch, listen, access Michigan podcast. Help us to find more Michigan fans just like you. You can also uh, follow us on Twitter at Michigan Podcast. Keep up to date on what we think. All things maize and blue. Until the next time, I'm Steve Dace. Go blue.